Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, we're going to get to this border issue in a moment. I've got a, a something staggering that just came out. I just got it in an email. But before we do that, let's get someone qualified for tickets. The hottest ticket in town. All right, we are looking for a qualifier, Kyle Klontz. C-L-O-N-T-S, Klontz, Kyle Klontz from Glendale. You have 10 minutes to call us at 602-277-5827. That's 602-277-5827. Kyle Klontz has 10 minutes to call. If he does not, we'll open the phones, and one of you is going to qualify to win playoff tickets to see your Phoenix Suns take on the Denver Nuggets. All right, let's get down to business. Um, This just crossed my email. Uh, Congressman Juan Siscomani from Southern Arizona has signed on with 75 colleagues um, in a letter that went to the Health and Human Services in the Biden administration, and they are asking about child trafficking. Uh, We are particularly heartbroken to read reports of children contacting HHS after their release to the sponsors in hope of the agency intervening with no follow-up. The policies of this administration are enriching the cartels and transnational criminal organizations who are profiting from the pain, abuse, and exploitation of these children as they smuggle them into the country. They detail horrific conditions. I have the letter in front of me. Um, We write with grave concerns is how it starts regarding recent reports over the treatment of unaccompanied minors in the United States. According to the New York Times, the Department of Health and Human Services has been unable to make contact with over 85,000 migrant children that have entered our country. They've lost 85,000 children. I, I just let that number see. It almost makes me brings me to tears. These children are sent with the cartels across our border by their parents. The cartels have absolutely no concern for human life. As a matter of fact, they abuse these children. These children are sent, I'm reading again further down in the letter, by their parents and drawn to our country for economic opportunity. Then our system and the protections they should be afforded fail them as a lack of vetting puts them in harm's way. It's the responsibility of HHS to properly vet the people these children are being released to and to protect them from being exploited. Yet it has been reported that caseworkers feel rushed to move children out of the government custody quickly and are not fully vetting people to whom the children are released, thus putting these minors in dangerous environments. This is unacceptable. We must treat these vulnerable children with extra care and consideration and should be enforcing policies and discouraging this type of behavior. Um, We are particularly heartbroken. I'm reading further down in the story uh, to read reports of children contacting HHS after their release to their sponsors in hopes of the agency intervening with no follow up. These policies. And I read this before. um, uh, These people are being abused. So this is the questions. These are the questions they're demanding answers to. Um, How many children? Encountered since January 20th of 2021 have been released to sponsors who are not their parents. How many of those sponsors are non-blood related relatives? 
What is the process that HHS and DHS use to coordinate information regarding potential sponsors before children are placed within their custody? What checks are in place to know how many children are placed with each sponsor? How many children can a singular sponsor have released to them? Of all children placed with sponsors since January 20th of 2021, how many sponsors passed a complete background check? How many were interviewed? Once a child is placed with a sponsor, please outline the process for continued vetting and check-ins that occur. Does this differ from the tender and non-tender age of children? What is the process if child welfare agencies report to HHS hotlines that children are working full-time or being exploited? And lastly, the question, how many DHS investigations have been opened regarding child trafficking and unaccompanied minors since January 20th of 2021? Um, This is – there's a a story about a one-year-old from Guatemala was tragically abandoned in the Colorado River by smugglers – the meanwhile in Florida, it was reported that one 13 year old child met his sponsor via Facebook, who later threatened to extort him. Sadly, this is not uncommon. What is uncommon, however, is the rate in which these bad actors are being prosecuted. The same reports indicate that over the last decade, there have only been 30 cases regarding forced labor of migrant children. We should be enforcing the law and prosecuting every smuggler and trafficker who puts these children in harm's way. Um, that letter uh, went out from Congressman Juan Siscomani of Arizona. By the way, Congressman Siscomani was naturalized as a citizen in 2006. He is the only Republican, I believe, the only Republican member of Congress, of the House certainly, that is Mexican-born. Um, the uh, We talk about all these other numbers are meaningful, but 85,000 children – 85,000 migrant children that they cannot account for. This is horrific. And that doesn't mean that all 85,000 of these children are being harmed. But how many is an acceptable number? Are we doing our due diligence? This is – I want everyone out there that was furious about the treatment of children by the federal government when it comes to the border that was looking for a more humane way to treat them. I want to know if you are going to be as outraged now. The idea of human trafficking, and now we're talking about child trafficking here, forced labor, and who knows what else. It is not who we are. This is not who we are. The, the system in this country dealing with the border security crisis, dealing with the immigration issues that we are facing, we have let down so many people in our own country, but across the world with what we have let this turn into. So I've talked – I just talked earlier about the electorate. I just talked earlier about the people in this country that can make massive changes and make demands so that people aren't as comfortable. You know as well as I do that comfort in your job sometimes breeds complacency in your job. And sometimes it takes a challenge from somebody else standing in your way or taking that job from you that motivates you to do your job better. Members of Congress know by polling how they're going to be reelected and what's going to get them reelected. And I don't blame people for that. But when the American people speak on an issue, they do respond because self-preservation is a great motivator. 
The same people keep voting for the same people that keep giving us the same results. This is not a single party problem. This administration, I think, has exacerbated the problem. This is something horrific that can't be tolerated. You and I both should be furious that we've got 85,000 missing children because the federal government can't make contact with them after they put them with sponsor families. We don't know how many of these sponsor families are not blood relatives. We don't know how many of them have passed background checks. We don't know how many of these children can ever be accounted for. We don't know what's happening to these children. And it is a despicable thing that's happening. Of all the other border issues we keep talking about and the numbers of gotaways and captures and money spent for the Yuma Regional Medical Center, $26 million, how does this number of 85,000 missing migrant children not stick in your head and make you want to cry. This is a horrible number. Coming up in a moment, we're going to get you caught up on the biggest headlines of the day. It's a segment that we do called Did You Hear This? We'll do it in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. In another crazy news day, let's get you caught up on the big stories. Did you hear this? Did you hear this? Broomhead's reaction to the hottest news stories. The Biden administration recently approved 1,500 troops to go to the southern border, and the Pentagon wants to make it clear what they will be doing when they get there. They are there to fill, quote, critical capability gaps like ground-based detection, monitoring, and data entry and warehouse support. So really assisting the effort on the ground with customs and border protection. Why wouldn't they be there for law enforcement purposes? Um, Well, it's against the law. There are restrictions on what the military can get involved in, um, first of all. But a bigger question for me is two of them. One is 1,500 enough. And secondly, if it is mostly in an administrative role, would it be better suited to have people that are administrators doing these things? Uh, that's a bigger question is who is best equipped to do this job? Is it because of the ability to move the troops that quickly? But will be 50, will 1500 be enough? And I don't know the answer to that. I think most of us believe it's not nearly enough. Let's hope that more gets done as this situation gets solved. <laughs> It's the National Day of Prayer, and Pastor Rob Williams talked with you today about its significance. We're just asking in a state of humility and dependence, we're asking for continued guidance, mercy, and protection. Pretty simple and pretty beautiful if we all had that same kind of spirit, wouldn't it? How does a National Day of Prayer fit into the idea of the separation of church and state? Well, the separation of church and state was a letter from Thomas Jefferson to the Danbury Baptist where he was assuring the preachers from the Baptist as preachers that the government would never infringe on the church's abilities, not the other way around, that the church would not influence the the government. So I think that's where they get that whole idea wrong. But I think in this instance, we have been a nation that's always um, elected to uh, acknowledge a creator since our founding documents. And we've always, every president we've ever had from George Washington on has been quoted for the prayers, including Reagan, uh, even President Trump, even President Biden. And so I just think that prayer is a part of who we are. The fact that we don't tell you who to pray to, how to pray, or when to pray is what makes us Americans. We are just telling you that you can, and I think that's terrific. You are listening to Did You Hear This? We do it every day at this time to catch you up on the big headlines. Inflation hasn't gone away and remains a hurdle for most Americans in their
their everyday lives. Inflation costing the average family about $300 more every month on the same goods and services as last year. So the Fed is now hiking rates again by a quarter point yesterday. That is the 10th consecutive increase over the last year. Are the rate hikes working? Well, it seems like it is starting to slow things down now. Jobless claims are at about an 18-month high. We are seeing the available jobs are decreasing. Um, So in that regard, yes, but inflation remains very, very, very high and very difficult to deal with, which is why the Fed is saying they're still being aggressive with rate increases until there is a bigger slowdown. So we're going to see how quickly that happens. We are seeing a jump in jobless claims, and that increase is happening, which is what the plan was. So in that regard, it looks as if it is, but we are seeing a very, very tenacious inflation period, and we got to get it slowed down. The leader of the Proud Boys and three others of the group were found guilty of conspiring to disrupt the certification of the 2020 election and prevent Joe Biden from becoming the president of the United States. An ABC legal contributor says this case sets a precedent. Regardless of where you are, whether you're marching on the steps of of the government, whether it be the Senate, the judicial branch, whatever branch you're, you're on, or if you are miles away organizing such action, that you will be prosecuted and found guilty. How does a seditious conspiracy conviction, you know, react to what January 6th was? It just depends on where you are politically, unfortunately, because I was someone that was very vocal against January 6th, that there were people that were trying to stop the certification of election. They need to be held accountable. But so do the people that want to stop the Supreme Court from doing their jobs when you're threatening the lives of Supreme Court justices because you don't like that. I think we should be going after extreme behavior wherever it lives, for whatever reason it is living. That's a civilized society. So I think that's the message that should send. It should not send a message that if you disagree with the people in power, now you're in trouble. It should be if you are someone that is trying to disrupt and use illegal means to do it, you're going to pay a heavy price. Great job, Julia. As always, we'll do it again tomorrow for the last time this week. We will do Did You Hear This? Um, I've got some good news out there, Suns fans, for you. Not so much for Kyle, who did not call in. We are going to open the phone. Someone is going to get qualified for playoff tickets to see the Phoenix Suns and the Denver Nuggets. 602-277-5827. Caller number 5, 602-277-5827. Good luck. Someone's going to get qualified. I hope it's you. Um, what we're going to do in a moment is go back to the economy. Initial jobless claims, we just talked about it, have jumped to about an 18-month high. Are we starting to see that slowdown necessary to drive down inflation? Will this be a slowdown now in the increase in interest rates? And what does all of these increase ultimately mean to the people of this country? We'll discuss it all next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, man, Rick Rowland. Rick Rowland on a Thursday. You're welcome, everyone. You're welcome. Uh, thanks for being here. We've got to talk about the economy and its effect on the average person. And I think when you look at the big picture, and we have to, unfortunately, we have to. What could have been done is behind us. It is something we must remember moving forward. But what lessons have we learned and who is going to pay the price? Because interest rates have gone up again. How much is that costing people? Impact on credit card rates. We know a couple of things have happened. 
with gas prices being as high as they are in the state of Arizona, there are people that are putting gas on credit cards. And when you do that, you're now paying interest, especially if you can't pay it off at the end of the month. Many people are using that as a float to get to payday, and then they pay it off. But we understand the problem that's being created for people. So let's start with this. How much is inflation costing the average American family? A possible banking crisis is among the Fed's many considerations, but the central bank still sees inflation as its biggest concern, that inflation costing the average family about $300 more every month on the same goods and services as last year. So the Fed is now hiking rates again by a quarter point yesterday. That is the 10th consecutive increase over the last year. And if you've got credit card debt. This is how it's going to impact you as well. If you have a balance on your credit card every month, you are going to be paying more. So rates on credit cards were already at a record high before yesterday's Fed meeting. So now the average rate on a credit card is going to be about 20 and a half percent. So you should see that change happen in the next one or two billing cycles. Of course, if you pay off your credit card balance at the end of each month, you don't need to worry about higher rates. And you should know that if you're perceived as a, a riskier borrower, rates on credit cards for you could go up even higher. This is not necessarily a wealth thing. This is a discipline thing, right? In many cases, not always, but in some cases, it is about living within your means and not extending yourself too far. But here's where the problem with this starts to come into play. Many people live within their means. They have credit cards for emergencies or or what people will do is they'll say, you know what we're going to do? We are going to go on vacation this summer as a family. We're going to take a trip. We're going to put it on a credit card. We're going to put the ticket it's on a credit card, the hotels, the food. So we are going to run up some credit card debt. And then what we'll do is we'll wait until income tax time. If we get an income tax refund, we'll use that to pay off the credit card. In the meantime, we will make minimum payments or some payments on this card to try to drive it down a little bit. We are going to pay a higher rate. A lot of people are going to change their minds. Tax refunds are lower because the COVID money dried up. How is this going to impact people's loans now? Not credit cards, but loans. We're going to see rates go higher on auto loans, personal loans home equity loans. Mortgage rates are not directly tied to what the Fed does. They more look at what's happening with inflation and the economy. So ironically, if the economy continues to slow and inflation continues to come down, mortgage rates might actually tick lower in the weeks ahead. Which would be a very, very good idea. Um, But here's the headline. Millions of Americans now underwater on auto loans. What will that do to the industry? Um, both the loan industry that would take hits where people default on car loans. What does it do to the automobile industry? There are a lot of questions about American families and how they survive through times like this. One of the things that's frustrating on all of this is what it's doing to the labor market, what it's going to do to the labor market. The one bright spot, and it's been a bright spot in Arizona, maybe brighter here than other places because we have so many jobs available here that the wages are remaining pretty high. But nationally, that's not necessarily necessarily the case. So Jerome Powell from the Fed was talking about the labor supply and demand and how it's being affected right now with what's happening. The labor force participation rate has moved up in recent months, particularly for individuals aged 25 to 54 years. Nominal wage growth has shown some signs of easing and job vacancies have declined so far this year. But overall, labor demand still substantially exceeds the supply of available workers. So we're seeing people filing for jobless claims. That's gone up to about an 18-month high. And retail led all industries in April with 14,689 cuts. That's up 270 percent. 
from the cuts that were announced in March. Retailers have announced 36,115, an 843% increase from retail cuts announced in the same period last year. Consumer product manufacturers announced the third highest number of cuts last month with 9,100, a total of 19,116. That's a 391% increase from the cuts that were announced through April of last year, meaning we are seeing year over year, we are seeing job cuts and a slowdown. This is the intent is slowing down the economy. The results are going to be what they knew they were. People will lose their jobs. And so for the people that keep them, and this is where I've talked about this bright spot that's been there in our economy, has been the availability of employment, your ability to go out and find a second job if you need it. Your ability in your trade, whatever your skill is, if you're not happy with an employer, now is the time where you can look for work elsewhere. In the end, you know, in the, in the, in one of the things in the trades, in the construction world that I came from, it was very commonplace. And there were some people, I was one of the people that tried to stay. Um, I, I only worked for a couple of different companies while I lived here in Arizona. Um, and before I had my own business because I like that job security of being in one place. I would rather be secure, but that doesn't mean that I didn't get more money when I asked for it. You put yourself in a position where you are a valuable employee. That's a great place to be. You survive downturns because you are a valued employee. So many times an employer will say you're one of the people we need to retain. So there's an advantage there, but there also, there are a lot of people that their loyalty is their loyalty to themselves and their family. Meaning, I work for a company. I like working for this company, but I just got offered more money from another company down the street. I'm going to go there because they're offering me more money. And I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with either approach. But when that stuff starts to dry up, that's when people really start to look at and bosses look at value. They have to. For a long time, if the value was in a body on a job site, somebody that was there that could get the work done, you didn't have to be excellent. You you just had to be present. You had to be capable and present. Well, when the job market turns down, employers are holding on to their most valued employees. Generally speaking, some don't. Some just keep the cheapest. But the good companies say, all right, we have got to lean out a little bit. We are going to have some layoffs, but we don't want to see a dramatic reduction in productivity. Who can we keep that is our most productive? Who's been the most loyal? If you're a small business owner, there's a lot of times you look at that. When I was working, that was the thing for me is if the boss needed me to work, I said yes unless I absolutely had to say no. And I wanted them to know they could count on me because there was going to come a day I need to count on them. There would be a day when there was a slowdown. And I survived in a couple of companies that way where they made cuts. I worked for one company. We were all in the shop, and they read off 10 or 15 names of the 40 or 50 guys that were standing there, and they said, okay, you 10 or 15, we want you to go into the conference room, and we did, and everybody else stood out in the shop, and about 15 minutes later, the boss came in and said, everybody that was just out there in the shop just got laid off. You guys are what's left, and we had to go back to work, so I've seen it happen. And you hate seeing hardworking people lose their jobs through no fault of their own. So this is the precarious position we've gotten in. And I think this is where having a long memory matters. Uh, I talked about this earlier. I think it's worth repeating. There is a study that shows that the electorate 
is not a reflection of our citizens. The demographics are all over the place. Who votes? And the people that vote are voting for the people that make the laws for all of us. So why wouldn't you be a part of that voting public? So that's what I want to talk about, the big difference in what's been done and who votes and who doesn't and see if we can't change some people's minds. We'll do it here in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, I forgot to congratulate our qualifier for the Suns playoff tickets. He's qualified. His name is Timothy Mulvin. He is on the list. He may win those playoff tickets. They will call another name in the 4 o'clock hour in the afternoon show. Make sure you get registered by texting the word TICKET to 411923 and listen for your name. If they don't call in that 10-minute period, then they open the phone. So make sure you're listening if you want to be qualified. New data shows how little the electorate looks like the population. Um, We are finding out that uh, in the midterm elections, the voting uh, by black Americans dropped dramatically, and there is a far less percentage of black voters than there are black citizens. So the electorate is largely white and more white than the population. The age of voters above 60 far exceeds the number of people in our country over the age of 60. So those are the largely the people that are making the decisions of what direction the country goes. Um, I would also say that when it comes to this, well, the reason why it's such a big issue for me is I don't believe it's skin color. I don't I don't think it's gender. I don't think it's economic status. I don't think it's any of those things. Um, people are opinionated. And what we've done is we speak to the people that are listening. I do it on this show. I, I, if, you, if I get messages once in a while from people that they'll never listen to my show, well, then I don't care what you think. If I don't have a chance to get you to listen, why do I care what your opinion is? My job is to talk to the people that are listening and keep them listening. If you're a politician, if you're not registered to vote, I don't care what you think. Now, that sounds callous. That sounds cruel, but it's accurate. If you are an elected official and you come to me or and, and you ask me, do I vote? And I say to you, no, I don't vote. Then why would you listen to anything else I had to say? They speak to the crowd that's listening. It's why they use the same terminology. It's why the code of the politician is out there. They know what the crowd wants to hear. When I speak in public, I know who the crowd is that's listening. I go to events in my party. I go to Republican events, and I speak to the crowd that's in front of me. I mean, that's what it's not. It's not lazy. And there are times I go into a room and I know that it's not people that are necessarily believers, not somebody that agrees with me. I take a different tone. I take a different approach. I explain why I think a lot more than just telling people what I think, because it's it's more it's necessary with someone that's not already in lockstep with you. If we had the people out there that are opinionated. That made sure that their voices were heard at the ballot box, those elected officials or people that want to be elected would have to talk to you. They'd have to listen to you. 
I'm telling you now, the smart people that are running for office are looking at the huge number of people that are either switching their affiliation or when they register to vote are non-affiliates, meaning they are independent voters. I can guarantee you that election officials that do PR and campaign work and write speeches and talk about how you win an election, they are starting to see this dramatic shift in voter registration. Those people always existed. They're politically motivated. They are politically opinionated, but they weren't involved in the process, and more of them are starting to get involved or changing their affiliation because they don't like the road the individual parties are taking them down. They no longer want to hear from you. Just vote for all of these people. They don't want to be a part of a litmus test that decides and somebody else gets to decide whether or not they're really a voter in that party and if their voice counts. We don't live in that world anymore. There are those that still do, and it's why the parties are shrinking. It's why we are seeing so many people become independents. It's not because they've changed their political stance, because they've changed their opinion on issues. It's because they're not going to be told by a political party that this is how you have to think. And if you don't think like I do, if you don't agree with me, get out. They gladly go somewhere else. And I think if we change the number of people, and, and I think we're, we're doing this, if we change the numbers from the people that are unaffiliated but engaging those people, we get to change the electorate. By, we will change the elected by changing the electorate. I, I believe that's happening more and more. Um, it doesn't matter what your skin color is. It doesn't matter what your gender is. It doesn't matter what your age is. What does matter is that you're engaged, and it matters that you are you are educated as a voter. You may come to a different conclusion from me, but if you're an educated person on the issue, then your voice should be heard because I want elected officials to understand that talking to the same old people and talking to them in the same old way is only going to get us the same old results. If we want change, we're going to have to be the ones that foster it because in the end, they work for us. We all say it. We all believe it. But are we willing to go out there and make sure they understand it? If they don't do the will of the people, this border issue should be one that we all are embarrassed by. We're going to talk more about child trafficking in a couple of days with this new letter and this new report that's out there. And if we are not as a citizenry outraged at both parties for not fixing this problem, this should be the one issue that we all hold hands across the gamut of political beliefs and demand that our elected officials rectify this problem with 85,000 child migrants unaccounted for. That is a staggering number. They can't find them. Let's just start there. All right, if you're a social media user at Broomhead KTAR, you can find me on Twitter there. At Broomhead Show updates you on what we're doing on the show. If you are an Instagram user, Mike Broomhead, all one word is where you can find me on Instagram. We'll be back tomorrow morning with another edition of the show. Until then, I hope you've got a great day, everyone. Until tomorrow, God bless.